Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Pod bless everybody. I'm your host of OPP, Corey Cambridge. And before we get started with this amazing episode, I want to tell you about my other show, Silent Giants. Silent Giants is a podcast that highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. Ever wondered who made the MTV logo? Did you know the person who wrote Earth, Wind & Fire's hit song September? Also wrote the theme song for the hit 90s TV show Friends? On Silent Giants, we learn more about these amazing people and dig deep to learn more about their most famous works. Be sure to check out Silent Giants on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Now, let me introduce you to our special guest of OPP. This is April Callahan. I'm the co-creator and co-host of the podcast Dressed, the History of Fashion, and this is OPP. Pod bless everybody and welcome back to another episode of OPP. Other People's Podcasts, America's number one podcast discovery platform that highlights your favorite podcasters and the dope shows they created. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Our special guest this episode is April Callahan, host of the amazing podcast, Dressed the History of Fashion. On this show, April explores the incredibly rich and complex history behind the clothes we wear. In this interview, we're going to learn more about April. We had a great conversation about where we are in present day fashion. We get our podcasters' picks, and of course, we get into our dope show, Dressed the History of Fashion. So, let's get into our interview with April Callahan. We're rocking and rolling. Yo, April, what's up? How are you? Thank yo, you for having me. Yo, everything is everything. It's a pleasure having you. Thank you for stopping by today. <laughs> you coming from FIT? I am, just around the block. I know. So it's like was... a three-minute walk away. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't make you come to Bed-Stuy for the interview. I'm glad, I'm glad we came into the city. It's okay. I like Bed-Stuy. Yeah. Where are you at in Brooklyn again? I live currently in Borham Hill, but okay. I'm moving closer to you, moving back to Bushwick, baby. Yo, that's like that's like a culture shift right there. <laughs> Maybe I, I miss the grit a little bit, I have to say. Yeah. Well, what's, the, what's, the, what's the vibe like in Borham Hill? I don't really go out there that often. Is it just super quiet? very quiet brownstones. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. It's lovely. Like kids playing? No. Uh, Maybe a little bit, a little bit here and there. There's definitely a stroller brigade. Let's just say that. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, moving back to Bushwick, I'm looking forward to my questionable characters. Yeah. I'm looking forward to um, keeping my dog from eating uh, random chicken bones on the sidewalk. Yes. Occasionally stepping over the bloody condom on the sidewalk. (laughs) You know, it's the Bushwick Bed-Stuy way. Yo, you got to have some crown fried chicken wings (laughs) on the ground. That's right. Like that's a Brooklyn staple right there. All right, so, so tell me more about where your, your, your background. Where are you from originally? I am originally, well, I grew up a lot, um, and I've talked to, um, all over the place, actually. I've talked about this a bit on the podcast, but um, I moved a lot because I actually grew up in a religious cult. Um, so we moved frequently every three to four years. But if I had to pick one place where I was from, I would say it was Kansas City. Okay. Oh, well, what's the vibe like in Kansas City? Kansas City is great. People, a lot of people don't really realize how big Kansas City is because when you see the statistics, um, it will usually give you statistics for Kansas City, Missouri and Kansas City, Kansas separately. But really, 
it's it's one large city like I could be sitting right now in this chair. We're sitting across from a table across from each other. Yeah. You could be in Missouri and I could be in Kansas. Wow. So uh, people don't really realize that that Kansas City is one of the largest cities in the United States. It's fun. They have, there's a really vibrant um, art scene there because there's a really wonderful uh, Kansas City Art Institute. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. It's I great. know about the I know about the Chiefs and I know about um and the Jazz. Yeah, course. yeah, and, and then there was um Queer Eye was there. Yeah, they were just there. Um, yeah. the building where they were all staying was right down the block from an art gallery that I used to work at. So I know that building well. One of my friends used to live in that building. Do you go back often? Oh, uh, not so much. My parents don't live there anymore. Okay. Uh, so I do go back to visit friends from time to time, um, and have some barbecue on occasion. You you mentioned uh, that you were you grew up in a religious cult. How did that shape you today, and want to make you get out of Kansas City? Um, I definitely think that shaped me in a lot of ways, and I think that it made me kind of fiercely independent because I realized from a pretty young age that um, that was not my scene. Let's just say, <laughs> <laughs> and I think that a lot of the decisions that I've made since then have kind of encouraged me to be fearless and and to take really big risks and not to be afraid to do so and and just to follow my gut really i guess essentially uh where'd your love for fashion come from i'm not sure um i do remember this one particular moment when i was in kindergarten and uh because of how i was raised um in the religion we didn't believe in birthdays and one of my classmates' mother had brought in cupcakes, you know, for the class on yeah. her son's birthday, like a normal mom thing to do. Um, but my parents would come and take me out of class when that happened because that was considered pagan. But she was wearing Jordache jeans. And this was, you know, the early 80s when those jeans were like the shit. And I just remember thinking like, because I heard all the other moms talking about her jeans and how she had these special jeans and they all wanted her jeans. Um, and I think for me in that moment, there was a little bit of a, a flip that switched and realizing that like clothing communicated so much more to the outside world. Um, and I, and I started paying attention and then of course fashion magazines were banned in my house. So, you know, I think all teenagers have some sort of contraband hidden in their room. Uh, mine was not drugs. Mine was fashion magazines. Like fashion porn? <laughs> <laughs> fashion magazines yeah. and REM tapes. Yeah, you treat fashion like it's like, it's, you know, like Playboy. Yeah, like exactly. under the mattress. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Yeah. What, what, what was what was the cult fashion like? Like, what were you allowed to wear? What was the typical dress? Yeah. So we've actually already done an entire episode on cult style because yeah. I really wanted to delve into that. My cult in particular, we didn't have a particular um, mission or directive in terms of dress. We could wear contemporary clothes as long as for women, they were at least, you know, relatively modest, but we were not allowed to wear makeup. Um, so so that was one thing. That did shift at some point when, when I was later in my teens. Um, but not all cults actually have a, a dictate in, in terms of dress. And so when we did that particular episode, it was interesting to look at the dichotomy um, between, let's say, you know, one of the most notorious cults is, of course, uh, Jonestown. They didn't have any directives towards dress, whereas um, Heaven's Gate 
they didn't have any directives towards stress. They actually shared communal closets, um, which was interesting. Um, they are well known because of of course, you know, they did commit um, group suicide and they were dressed in a very specific manner. But in their day-to-day -day operations um, for, for like 20 years, they didn't, they just wore, you know, normal street clothes. Um, so whereas some other groups, you know, have very, very specific ways of dressing. Yeah. Uh, how did your, you just mentioned you were coming from FIT. What's mm -hmm. your, current, your current role today at FIT? Oh, yeah. So at FIT, I am uh, the curator of manuscript collections within special collections. Um, so I'm a curator of basically more or less half of a million original works of art on paper and rare unpublished materials that are more or less designer archives. So, um, yeah, I just rolled out after teaching a class on uh, the, the history of textiles. <laughs> yeah, well, well, uh, what was the light bulb moment for you that you knew that you wanted to pursue a career and, and study fashion as a profession? Ah, I can tell you exactly. Um, so I went to undergrad and I did art history. And then after that, I was a contemporary art gallerist for almost 10 years. Okay. One day, um, somebody gave me a book. And it happened to be the catalog to this collection in Japan, the Kyoto Costume Institute. And it was just a general survey of their holdings. Now, this is a massive book. It's about like three inches thick. Lots of pictures, but there's a lot of text in there too. And I was entranced because I didn't realize until that time that you could study fashion and dress just from a material culture standpoint in terms of like, what is it what does it say about politics what does it say about gender what does it say about identity what does it say about technology and how all of these things inherently are embedded in the clothes that we wear um and so from that very moment i was I, I, I was all in. I knew that's what I wanted to do with the rest of my life and I had just gone through a really bad breakup I had been at the gallery that I was at for nine years at that point and it was kind of like okay, you need to like change your life and do something else or you're going to keep doing this thing the rest of your life because you love it so much. And so it was this move to pursue my interests and really kind of push myself outside of my comfort zone, which I think, I think is something that continuously I strive towards. Like when I travel, I don't want to go somewhere safe. I I mean, yes, physically safe, yes, but but I want I want to be pushed outside into an area where I don't feel comfort, where I have to learn something new, or I have to adapt to some other culture's way of being. Does that make any sense? Yeah, no, totally, totally. Yeah, that's cool. I studied uh, art history in, in high school, and what was the, one of the coolest things I realized about fashion that it was one of the first forms of human technology. Like we're we're supposed to be like butt ass naked living near the equator, <laughs> but we developed uh, clothing to help us live outside of our our natural habitat. Yeah, and and even some some early societies, you know, the you know some of the first forms of quote unquote. Well, I don't want to use the word fashion, but there is a natural human impulse towards self adornment. So whether it's um, you know people in the past who were just simply taking bones and making necklaces or even early examples of tattooing. Um, there is this impulse to set yourself apart and to adorn your physical body. So, yeah. Where are we currently today uh, in the state of, of fashion? And, and how is that different from generations before us? Well, I think 
I think we what what's happened right now in terms of fashion, the mo one of the most critical issues is sustainability. Because over the last 40 years or so, people are consuming like five times the amount of clothes that we did 40 years ago. And that all has to do in part with the rise of fast fashion. Um, fast fashion has vast implications outside of how cheap your clothes are at Zara. If you're paying, you know, $12 for a t-shirt, what do you think and who do you think is making that t-shirt? And, and what do you think their wages are? Only 2% of fashion workers in the world globally earn a living wage. Wow. Yeah. And one in six people on this planet is in some way tangentially employed by a fashion, the fashion industry or an industry related to the fashion industry. Um, so with this rise of fast fashion, we have a lot of issues surrounding labor, who's making our clothes. And if people are consuming that many more clothes, the average person in the world right now brings in 68 new garments into their closet, and that's average. So if you're bringing in that, you're consuming that much clothes, some of it has to go somewhere. Where is it going? Um, and, you know, all of these, all of these bigger issues surrounding fashion and the practices of fashion um, really come back to sustainability and, um, and ethics, really, in terms of labor. Uh, how is this going to affect the trends and the clothes that we wear going forward in the future? Well, I... Trends is actually a very dirty word for me. And part of that has to do with exactly what we were just talking about. So um, this, there's a new model that fast fashion has basically implemented, and it's called quick response. And with quick response, they are bringing in new collections into the stores, like Zara or H&M, um, are bringing in new collections into the store every two weeks to entice people to come in and buy more items. Um, and to do that, what they're doing is pushing trends. That's, that's the way. That's the fashion system, mm. right? Really what fashion is about is it's, it's inherently cyclical, right? Once something is out, you have to buy the new thing and over and over and over and over again. So the quicker that they can get the new trends, quote unquote trends, into the store, the faster they can push that, that cycle. So um, personally, I wear only vintage clothing or um, uh, clothing from a designer that I know personally. Okay. So like right now I'm wearing a jacket from Anna Sui, but I know Anna, so I'm, I'm wearing her jacket. The dress that I'm wearing, I purchased at a vintage store. It was brand new. It still had tags on it, but it's that secondary market of consumption. Um, so I really think that the quote unquote new trend is really going to be People becoming much more conscious consumers. People are going to start really demanding to know who made their clothes, demanding to that whoever made their clothes is being paid a living wage, um, and that this kind of like cycle of excess it has to stop. We live on a finite planet; it can't it can't go on forever, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about um, harmful? What are like the most harmful materials that are being made? Uh, today? Um, well, th that's a tricky question because a lot of people think that natural fibers are the answer. And in some ways, yes, absolutely they are. Cotton's great. 
but cotton is also one of the crops that is the quote unquote thirstiest crop. It requires an enormous amount of water to grow. Um, and thanks in part, that is partially thanks in part to the genetic modification of cotton that's been implemented by companies like Monsanto. Um, so really, there, there are so, so many issues. I, 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 I don't even know where to begin. I think that one of the main issues is that we need to be able to figure out a way to deal with the types of textiles that we're consuming, whether they be wool, whether they be cotton, whether they be, be synthetics, and create um, what is really the ideal scenario for sustainability is this a circular loop. So um, when we have something like cotton, that it is not treated or dyed or um, altered in a way that it precludes it from being reborn as a new garment. Does that make any yeah, sense? Yeah. And that's also one of the problems with um, synthetic blends. Even if you have cotton that maybe has lycra in it, it's only just now when certain companies are being able to um, introduce the technology to uh, separate the lycra uh, from the cotton okay. and then be able to separate them and then make them into another product again. Even products that are sometimes upcycled, so products that maybe say came from plastics uh, that were formerly ocean trash and that are now being made into new products, that's great. But a lot of times the, te the processes that are taking it into the new product then preclude it to be to it being upcycled again into something else. So I think that 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 new future is is going to look like a circle um, instead of a rainbow. For for students who are attending uh, FIT and, and are in college today, uh, are they required to also uh, who are looking to get into fashion and become mm -hmm. fashion designers and uh, become a part of the fashion industry? Are they required to study fashion history as well? Yes, absolutely. Um, so all the fashion designers have to take one form of fashion history or another. They have a couple different options that they can they can take. Um, they can take a design related course um, where they learn about the history and then implement those silhouettes in terms of constructing them themselves, or they can take a more of like a lecture straightforward uh, approach under the art history department. But but yeah, I mean, it, you know, how how do you know where you are if you don't know where you came from, mm. right? Yeah. April, we'll take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to your podcast, Dressed the History of Fashion. Great. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, April, we're back. We're back in the zone. We are. Uh, how did you first discover the medium of podcasting? Well, I have to say I probably, I had always been a fan um, of This American Life. So um, I probably started there and then I moved on to 99% Invisible. So I had my own little cache of podcasts on my iPod early, early on when podcasting became its own medium outside of radio. Because I listened to This American Life while it was on radio too. Did you know it? Uh, did you ever have the feeling that you wanted to be a podcaster yourself? Not 
necessarily. At that time, I was like really focused on writing. I've written three books, so I was doing that. But then, but but when the offer to do a podcast came out, it really made perfect sense to really take that content that I already been doing in written form and 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 to convert it into a podcast. But I do have to say, that was a little bit of a tricky um, switch in terms of the way that you write, like for print. Yes. And then the way that you write for a podcast, because with the way you write in print is very formal, but that does not translate to a podcast. You have to just kind of like summation it and, and make it more like a conversation. So that was, that was a little bit of a challenge at first in terms of like when we were sitting down to work and write on the shows is like stripping down that like academic writing quality and making it more approachable. And tell me the origin story of how you got your podcast started. Ah, well, it came out of said books. Um, and one day, uh, my one of my publishers, unbeknownst to me, um, they sent a copy of one of my books to Holly Fry, who is the host of Stuff You Missed in History class. And I, I was a huge fan of their show already. And one day she emailed me and said, hey, I have emailed you asking you to be a guest. I guess you're not interested because you haven't responded. And I was like horrified. (laughs) I was like, oh no, somehow I totally missed that email. I was like, of course I want to be a guest. So I was a guest on her show a couple times. And then at that time, uh, Stuff You Missed in History class was under the umbrella of How Stuff Works. And they were looking to develop more content. So I have to say I was uber, uber fortunate that it was them who came to me to say, hey, would you like to develop your own show? So that's that's how we got where we are today. And so so tell me, uh, what was that transition like for you coming from the world of you know of being a professor and being an author and stepping into the world of podcasting? What was the hardest transition for you? You know, honestly, because I'm still doing those things, the hardest it's not so much of a transition; it's scheduling and finding the time and carving the time out to do all of the things that you love. Um, simultaneously. So it's a little bit of a juggling lesson. I mean, I don't have to tell you this, but like making a podcast is a full-time job in and of itself. I mean, it's not just the time that you spend in the studio. It's the time that you spend researching your topic. It's the time that you spend, like when you emailed me saying, would you be on my show? It's a time, you know, like organizing guests. It's 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 a lot, and because our show is very uh, visually driven, fashion is obviously a visual subject, we s- devote a ton of time to our Instagram. We post every single day, if not multiple times a day, um, under the, the, th- the images that support that week's episode, and we do two episodes a week now. So... And I do have a partner, my wonderful, fabulous partner, Cassidy Zachary. Um, So, yeah, it's I think the the hardest challenge was not necessarily the transition from academia to the world of podcasting, but just the sheer amount of work that the podcast takes on top of everything else going on. Uh, For folks who haven't listened to Dress, give me an elevator pitch for listeners. Ah, okay. So I will tell you this. The show is about more than pretty clothes. This is not celebrity gossip. This is not runway coverage. This is about the way that we dress our bodies, how it intersects with politics, uh, technology, gender, religion, identity, all these bigger issues, you know, the, the... 
the clothes that you wear on your body, you know, speak to who you are. And that those are the things that we're really interested in on Dressed. Because April, you're such an accomplished uh, individual in the world of fashion for what you've achieved as a professor and as an author. But what has the podcast brought to you professionally uh, or enhanced your brand as a fashion expert? Well, I have to say I have learned so, so, so much from all of our guests. Um, a lot of them are, uh, some of them are people that I have known in the past through my professional contacts. Um, but also dress has really given us a platform to widen those contacts. Um, so a lot of people who are professors all over the world are also listeners and we've had them on the show. And many of them are fellow academics who've published many, many books. Sometimes, uh, one of our episodes might be based around something that they've written and published on. So of course I'm reading all of these things and something that's very different between making the podcast every week versus teaching the same class per se and giving the same lecture every week is that I'm learning something new. Um, if you're, if you're teaching the same class semester to semester, you know, your 17th century fashion lecture is your 17th century fashion lecture. But, um, the podcast has really opened up these new avenues for me to continue learning, um, and learning like from some of the best and the brightest who are working out there. And at the same time, being able to give people other, my colleagues all around the world who are doing fantastic work, a platform for them to talk about it. So that's, that's been a huge gift. Well, has there been a guest so far that surprised you? A guest that surprised me. Uh, I have to say, I adore Valerie Steele. She is the director of the museum at FIT, just around the corner. And um, I interviewed her on the show to uh, talk about her exhibition that was on the color pink. And it, and it was a fantastic exhibition. And I thought Val and I would probably sit there and talk for about 45 minutes or so. But we were actually done in way under that. And that is because that woman is a consummate professional. She is so good at just like getting to the meat of the matter and like not quite talking in sound bites, but she's done it so well. And she's written more than 25 books that she just like went in and like slaughtered that interview in a way that I was like, oh, now that's <laughs> how it's done. <laughs> So just surprising me. And I mean, I know she's genius and that she's brilliant. I've known this for years, but just like how good she is at it. I was like, wow, I was in awe. Yeah. But for listeners who are going to check out Dressed, uh, what do you want them to walk away with after listening to the show? Yeah. So I, I think the main takeaway that I hope people have, and we do get comments on this, particularly from men that listen to our show, um, saying, oh my gosh, I never took fashion seriously. I didn't realize that it was connected to all these other things, um, that it was connected, like I said, to politics, that it was connected to technology and all, and that, that all of that is evidenced in what you put on your body every single day. Um, also it's, it, you know, fashion is this major cog in the wheel of capitalism. Um, if, if the fashion system is convincing you that your hoodie that you're wearing right now is no longer the correct color, and you're going to go out and buy another one, but that is still a perfectly useful hoodie. Well, the fashion system is doing its work on behalf of capitalism. Mm. It's 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 put planting that seed in your head that this is no longer good enough for this, you know, nebulous reason, and that I have to keep continue to consume clothes. 
Um, and the fashion system itself really applies itself not only to clothes, but lots of other things too. Like your, do you have an old refrigerator or do you want that new stainless steel one? Or the colors of cars that are offered each season or even food trends really like, you know, Things like kombucha and chia seeds are like super trendy right now, um, whereas you know five ten years ago that was not the case. It was completely something else. You know, one thing uh, we're both creatives, mm -hmm. and the best thing about creativity to me is being able to have something in my head, actually make it and manifest it into something physical, sending it out into the universe, and having it be received and and appreciated by other people. You're just nominated for uh, the Our Heart Media Podcast Award for uh, best fashion. Best Fashion and Beauty Podcast. Yes. How's that nomination feel? It was great. We were super surprised. Um, we, we will be going to L.A. for the award show and hey. the red carpet and all that jazz in January. Um, but, yeah, no, it's it's that sort of recognition is really great. And, and you know, iHeart is our media company, but it is an industry award, actually. And so um, independent podcasts are nominated. Um, any podcast from any other media network um, are nominated. So uh, it, it's not just iHeart exclusive. So, yeah, it was a lovely recognition, and we hope to win. I hope so, too. <laughs> I hope you win as well. And so, April, we've come to a point in the show called our podcasters picks. Mm -hmm. Now, this is when I ask today's guests to give me three podcasts that they enjoy that we should be listening to and describe them to the audience. So, yeah. April, take it away. All right. So I think my favorite right now is I'm listening to Jad Albumrod's Dolly Parton's America. Wow. Because so everyone good. loves Dolly, right? I actually got in a fight with an ex-boyfriend once because he's, he thought it was ridiculous that I liked Dolly Parton. I was like, I don't think we can date anymore. Oh, I'm a big fan of Helen Zaltman's uh, podcast called The Illusionist. Oh, tell me more. And it's not illusionist like like mad magic tricks. It's illusionist like as in words. Ooh. So her entire podcast is about language and etymology. And she's been doing it kind of thematically. Um, and she's she's really, really fascinating. She, she has a wonderful sense of humor. She's very snarky. Um, and and it makes a podcast that's really about the super, let's face it, dorky subject of words and etymology. And she just she just does it brilliantly. So um, I listen to her quite a lot. And let's see. Um, I think my third pick, which I did also binge, was um, Sold in America. I don't know if you've um, listened to this, but it's Nora Tagore's um, examination and investigation over the entire series about the state of sex work in America. Oh, wow. So it was some really kind of like deep, hard hitting journalism that she did. And um, she did it born out of her experience of being um, assaulted as um, a young girl in an elevator in a hotel where she was with her parents. And just kind of that fear that still was lingering within her um, led her to do this bigger deep dive um, into this realm of sex work. And, and, and she does it really well, and she presents all these different ideas and, and sides. And I think that a lot of the conclusions that she kind of came to in the end maybe even surprised her. Um, so so that's, that's one that's really compelling as well. Wow. And uh, April, before we get out of here, yeah. why do you podcast? Because I can't not. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a choice. I love it. No, um, I think at heart, you know, like I said, I've written books, but 
my take on all of that is really kind of being a storyteller and I'm a historian, right? But you have, there are so many compelling and amazing stories that exist within history that we just have to sit there and draw them out. And I think that podcasting um, is is a really fun, engaging medium in order to do that. Um, you don't you don't have to be in class. Um, you don't have to be with a book. You can listen while you're in your car. Um, and I think that one of the things that our show does re- quite uniquely is that we are, you know, as our show says, examining the history of fashion and all of the things about how we have dressed, um, interact historically and lead up to where we are today and interact with all those other things, like I mentioned, like politics and technology. Wow. Yeah. April Callahan, thank you so much for being the guest thank you. on the show today. I really appreciate you. Thank you for having me. I'm everybody, delighted. Everybody go check out Dressed right now. <laughs> we out of here. Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of OPP and to our special guest, April Callahan. You can find Dress, the History of Fashion on Apple, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. This episode was mixed by Joshua Coleman. Theme music for this episode was produced by Richie Quake. And are you down with OPP? If so, please be sure to leave us a five-star rating in the Apple app and let me know your favorite podcast in the review section. Lastly, before we get out of here, check out my other show, Silent Giants, which highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. You can find Silent Giants on Apple, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Pod bless. Till next time. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist-approved, so fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.